What's going on, guys? It's me, Stephen Bagel, a.k.a. the NB Eagle, your mom's favorite podcast. I'm riding solo today because it's almost the best day of the year, the NBA draft. We have 10 days away from, as I said, the best day of the year. So today I'm going to be doing Mock Draft 2.0. As you guys can recall, in, I had Mock Draft 1.0 with Stone Hansen from NBA Draft Twitter and from the Upside Swing podcast. So today I decided to do my own version of a mock draft, put guys on teams. Now that we're getting more intel of who teams are interested in, what teams are looking for, what guys are working out where. And on top of that, I'm going to put a little twist on it and discuss the free agency aspect of it, the team building aspect of it, going to incorporate some salary cap in here. So without any further ado, let's get started. With the first pick in the 2021 NBA mock draft, to nobody's surprise, we have Cade Cunningham. Cade has basically been the number one pick in this draft for, I would say, probably three years now. So at this point, I'm not saying it's not deserved. He still probably should be the number one pick. I am a big Evan Mobley fan, and in my big board, I broke it up in tiers and have them both in tier one, the two of them alone. But... Cade has been such a polarizing prospect for so long. Everyone knew that he was going to be the number one pick going into this draft. He's a jumbo-sized playmaker, a la Luka Doncic, is who I compare him to. He's a big wing. He could play point guard the same way Luka does. And there's, he pretty much does everything well. He might end up being the best shooter in this draft. There are some pretty good shooters in this draft, but he could end up being the best. He's a great defender. He's a great distributor, but if you need him to take on a bigger scoring work, a bigger scoring load, he can. In Oklahoma State this year, he averaged 20 points a game and shot 40% from three. So that's the kind of prospect Kate is. He's you're getting a do-it-all type wing slash jumbo-sized point guard. And the Detroit Pistons obviously need whatever stall power they could get. Obviously, the Blake Griffin trade didn't work out for them. He did make All-NBA for them one year. But all of a sudden, the Pistons will have a core, if assuming Cade's the number one pick, of Cade, Sadiq Bay, and Isaiah Stewart, who both made All-NBA rookie or All-Rookie teams this year, and Killian Hayes, who I had number two on my big board last year. Now, Hayes and Cunningham both are ball handlers, and they both lack elite athleticism. So I think the Pistons, they, do, they should have cap space this summer. I think they should target, if they're serious about contending this year, which Kate Cunningham suddenly expedited the rebuild, so maybe they will be. But they need some athleticism along those two guys. So I'm thinking of like maybe a Norman Powell-type guy signing there. And he's not the most athletic, but he definitely has more athleticism than 
both Killian Hayes and Cade Cunningham. So I'm going to be interested to see what the Pistons do, whether they're ready to compete, whether they just want to take the rebuild slow, and now they have their building block with Cade. Number two, I have the Houston Rockets with Evan Mobley. There's been a lot, and Evan Mobley we know is a center out of USC. There's been a lot of speculation the Rockets are actually leaning Jalen Green from the shooting guard from the G League Ignite. But I just think Mobley's a superior prospect. I know they have Christian Wood. I don't think Christian Wood is a building block to the point where it deters you from taking Mobley. I think you take the best player available, and I think Mobley could be the centerpiece of a rebuild. I think Green can be as well, but as I said on my podcast with Stone, I personally think Mobley is the best defensive big man since Anthony Davis coming into the draft. We saw guys like Joel Embiid who we knew had the defensive potential, and obviously they realized it in the NBA, but there's no prospect that is already as an elite defender as Evan Mobley is for a big man. So that's important to remember because rookies typically don't tend to make an impact the rookie year. And it's not like the Rockets going to be competing next year anyway, but I see Mobley by the time he's 23 already competing for all-star spots in all NBA teams. I think that's how big of a generational big man he is. Typically big men aren't as coveted as they used to be. You could find anybody with a MLE or with a minimum that could just be a replacement level center. But Evan Mobley is a generational talent. We saw Nikola Jokic win MVP this year. We saw Joel Embiid get seconds in MVP voting. So the big man obviously is not dead in the NBA. And I think Evan Mobley is that kind of game-changing, impactful center. Number three, I have the Cleveland Cavaliers taking Jalen Green. As I said, there's a lot of speculation the Rockets want him at two. So in that scenario, I would have Evan Mobley going three. And that'd be fascinating because Jared Allen is a restricted free agent, so I'm interested to see if the Cavs would match an offer sheet for Allen to have Allen and Mobley or what they would do with both those bigs, whether they sign and trade them or however they go about it. But for purposes of this exercise, they haven't taken Jalen Green. It seems like they're going to trade Colin Sexton anyway, given that he's eligible for his rookie extension and they don't want to sign him to four years, $190 million. That's a lot of money for Colin Sexton. Sorry, now, 4 for 140, I believe it was. It would be 5 for 190, and he's not eligible for the five years. So either way, that's a shit ton of money for Colin Sexton. He's obviously not worth that, so he has been on the trade block. A lot of speculation that he might end up at a team like the New York Knicks. But Jalen Green, unfairly, has gotten a lot of comparisons recently to Kobe Bryant. That's how polarizing of an offensive player he is. And the G League Ignite, we definitely saw him have his moments and definitely had his highlights. He reminds me of a Zach Levine, I think a little bit better. Zach Levine, maybe a Zach Levine this year, and he'll sustain that upon his entire career. Zach Levine was great this year, 27 points a game on great efficiency. That's what I see for Jalen Green. I know I compare guys to Anthony Edwards like Zach Levine going into last year, but Zach Levine took a huge step forward this year. So I think Jalen Green in that Zach Levine mold as a great go-to scorer and you know, that building that building block for a franchise's rebuild. I think him and Darius Garland would be a great backcourt. All of a sudden, the Cavs would have Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, Jalen Green, and Jared Allen to build arounds. And then, obviously, they still have Kevin Love on the roster. Larry Nance Jr. is definitely a piece. The speculation, they flip Colin Sexton for, like, an Obi Toppin and Kevin Knox type, so maybe Toppin is the four of the future there. Jury is still out on that. But... 
yeah, Cleveland all of a sudden is looking like, with some lottery luck the past few years, all of a sudden looks like they're going to make the playoffs, not next year, but within the next few years, for the first time without LeBron James since 1999, I want to say it is. But number four, the Toronto Raptors. The Raptors are the one team that moved up in the lottery to get lottery luck to, well, not they're not the only team to move up, but out of the top five, they were projected to get the seventh pick. They got into the fourth overall pick. And I think that basically solidifies Kyle Lowry walking out of the door. All of a sudden, they have Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Chris Boucher, Fred Van Vliet. They have pieces. So with this number four pick, I wouldn't even say the rebuilding. I would say probably retooling and just getting younger by replacing Kyle Lowry with Gonzaga guard Jalen Suggs. Jalen Suggs, I compare him to like a Drew Holiday type. He's a good defender, a pretty good playmaker, a decent scorer. His shooting's a little bit of a question mark. We saw the heroic shot he hit against UCLA to make it to the national championship in the Final Four. But obviously, that crazy almost half-court heave isn't indicative of him being a great shooter. But I think he's a good shooter, and I do like the Drew Holiday comp for him. Drew Holiday obviously came on more towards the end of his career, but I think Jalen Suggs could sustain that kind of play. He would be great in between Van Vliet and Ananobi, adding toughness to the guard position. And he has size where we know Van Vliet is maybe 5'10". So he helps with those limitations. Number five, I have the Orlando Magic. I have the other G League Ignite star, Jonathan Kaminga. Kaminga is a very athletic score-first forward who... He's very toolsy, and the tools haven't yet come together, so we're still you're banking on him developing into an elite guy that was worth taking the fifth pick rather than what he is now. He's not a finished product, which most of these guys aren't, but at least a lot of them are projectable. Kamingo, Kaminga is a pretty hit-or-miss prospect, but Orlando desperately needs a guy who can score. I think him along with Jonathan Isaac, who's a defensive first guy, and Shuma Okiki, and Mobamba, and Wendell Carter, and Markel Fultz, and Cole Anthony, and RJ Hampton. All of a sudden, the Magic have guys. They don't know who the guys are yet. They don't know if Fultz or Anthony or Hampton are the point guard of the future. I think we could we could say Isaac is definitely a piece, and Wendell Carter's definitely probably a piece. But other than that... They just have a shit ton of guys, and I'm interested to see how they develop. The Magic, we will get to also have the eighth pick in this draft, so we're going to see what they do with that to add even another piece of that young core. Number six, we have the Sam Presti special, the Oklahoma City Thunder. We know the Thunder have like 34 picks in the next 34, geez, 34 drafts. 34 picks in the next seven drafts. I believe it's seven, well, 35 now that they got the Celtics first rounder this year in the Kemba Walker swap. So I think it's 18 first and 17 seconds in the next seven drafts. They had picks 6, 16, and 18, along with a few second rounders in this draft. So I think they're in prime position to trade up and, you know, get a bigger name, depending who they're targeting. But at number six, I think this is a perfect fit. This might be my favorite fit in the entire draft. And that would be Oklahoma City getting Scotty Barnes, who is a point forward out of Florida State. He gets a lot of comps to Draymond Green, and that's absolutely wild to me because you don't see guys get compared to Draymond Green. Draymond Green is such a unique player with his ball handling and passing ability for a small ball five who's defensive first. 
it's just it's insane that Scotty Barnes is literally looks like he came out of the Draymond Green factory. As I said, he's a point forward and he's defense first. He could basically switch one through five, just like Draymond Green can. His shot isn't there yet. He's probably a little bit better of a shooter than Draymond is now, but Draymond, those Warriors dynasty years, was a pretty decent shooter. So I put them on about an equal playing field. But Scotty Bones, you want to give him the ball and have him run your offense. So you have, for OKC, you have Alexi Pokusevsky and SGA both playing off the ball the way they can. And you'd have two point falls on that offense with Scotty Bones and Poku both being able to handle the ball, both being able to grab and go, both being able to go coast to coast. And Poku is actually a very elite off-ball defender. He picks his spots really well. He's a great rim protector, rim protector in the aspect of him blocking shots. So him and Scotty Barnes would be pretty tenacious alongside each other. So as you guys know, I'm a huge Poku fan. I think Poku's going to be an absolute stud. So I really do like the Scotty Barnes fit alongside him in OKC. And again, this is just another building bar, building block for OKC to have with what looks like might be the greatest rebuild in NBA history if it works out. Number seven, the Golden State Warriors. As most people know who have been following along, the Warriors have picked seven and 14 in this draft. And it seems like they want to trade that pick. So... I don't know if there's a Dame Lillard trade to be made. The speculation they want Pascal Siakam. But basically, they want to get a veteran in there. Use Andrew Wiggins' salary match. Use James Wiseman as a trading chip. And then bring in a win-now guy. So for this purpose, I don't have the Warriors... So as I said, for purposes of the smart draft, I don't have the Warriors making a trade. So... Given that they believe they have a championship window with Steph Curry playing at the peak of his career and Klay Thompson coming back and Draymond Green playing well, they think they have a championship window. So I have Davion Mitchell, the guard out of Baylor. I don't love this pick for them. I have Mitchell as 16th on my big board, but there's a lot of speculation of the Warriors taking him at 7 overall, given the fact that you know he's already going to be 22, almost 23 years old. By draft night. So he's he's not a developmental project. You already know what you're getting when you're drafting him. He can help you win now. He just won a national championship at Baylor. But he's a defensive-minded guard. He's a great perimeter defender. And he did shoot 45% from three this year. I think that's an anomaly given his freshman sophomore year. He shot 29% and 32%. So that's why I had Mitchell so low on my board because he's an undersized guard and I don't think the shooting's going to translate. So yes, even though he's an elite defender, he's what? Maybe Patrick Beverly, And that's not a great ceiling for a guy you're taking seventh overall. So I think the Warriors will trust their development team to help develop that shot given, you know, they have the Splash Brothers and Steve Kerr has the best three-point percentage in NBA history. So with all that, I think the Warriors will try to develop the shots make him a contributor right away. Next, you'll have a tenacious three-goal lineup. And for this purpose, they also have the 14th pick in the draft. So maybe if they want to take the developmental guy, then they will. But we'll see when we get there. Number eight, we have the Orlando Magic again. As I said with the Magic the first time, I know Cole Anthony 
and RJ Hampton, and I have them taking Kaminga. They're all score first guys rather than, you know, distributors or pure point guards or pass first guys or anything like that. But they desperately need like a 20 to 25 point score on this team. They they don't have that. Maybe Kaminga develops that, and obviously that's what they're banking on when taking fifth overall. But here I have them taking James Booknights. This dude can absolutely get buckets. He's from UConn. He has a tight handle. He's a very tough shot maker. And again, it's another guy that Orlando can add to that core of all those other young guys that they have that all of a sudden you're going to hit on some guys, you're going to miss on some guys. They have enough guys where they should be able to hit on almost a full starting lineup of young prospects. So, yeah, it's interesting to see for the Magic. If they did want to move up, they have five and eight. I don't know if Toronto would want to move back. I think Suggs might be the guy. But if Toronto did want like a Scotty Barnes, maybe they – five and eight is a lot to move up to number four, so I'm not sure what the Magic would do. Maybe the Magic would trade five in a future first, or five and 33 probably isn't enough to get you up to four. But I think Orlando could consolidate, given how many young guys they have, to move up and really get the guy they want. But here, I think Book Knight and Kaminga are great consolation prizes. Number nine out of the Sacramento Kings. First, I was going to give them a great defender because they had a historically bad defense last year. But here, I gave them Kai Jones, big man out of Texas. He was a freshman, so he's very young and he's very raw. He's 6'11", but he runs the floor like a guard. And he's very athletic. So he's a rim-running, can kind of shoot, has a great Euro step. If you watch him on YouTube, he's absolutely polarizing, but there's more to his game than just that. So as I said, um, looking at him on YouTube, he's so flashy. He moves the fluidity. He moves like a wing, and he has explosive leaking ability, leaping ability as a shot blocker and a dunker. But as I said, he's a project. He's not very switchable on defense right now, despite his ability to move like a wing. So there's definitely still some concerns, but I think the pros and his flashiness definitely outweigh the cons. And Sacramento, you know, Rashawn Holmes is a free agent this year. So they right now don't have a big man. Kai Jones could at least take some of the big man minutes next year. I don't know if he could be a full-time starter in the NBA next year. Probably not especially Sacramento missed the playoffs 13 straight years and all of a sudden had De'Aaron Fox and Halliburton, so they're going to want to compete for the playoffs. So maybe they sign somebody in free agency and Kai Jones is the backup for a few years. Maybe he could play four alongside whichever center they get a little bit, but I think that's the best job for Sacramento to go. Number 10, I have the New Orleans Pelicans. What they need more than anything is a 3 and D guy, and I'm a huge proponent for best player available. At this point, I have them taking almost best player available, but getting that guy in 3 and D more to play in between Zion and Brandon Ingram, and that's Arkansas wing Moses Moody. Moody is 19 years old. He gets some competitive. He's 6'6 with a 7-foot wingspan. His mom actually was interviewed during the combine or the draft trial, the combine process, and she said she calls him the human selfie stick because of how long his arms are. And as I said, his wingspan is 7-foot for a wing, so... He's going to be an elite defender, or he projects to be an elite defender, and he's a good three-point shooter. So those are two things that the Pelicans need alongside Zion and Brandon Ingram. And it's time for the Pelicans to, you know, start competing. They There's been reports that Zion's not happy. There's 
it's just it's time. Ingram's never played in a playoff game. While he probably all letting Lonzo Ball walk, I do think they should probably get a sign and trade for him, given that he's a restricted free agent. So they should get some compensation for him. But I do really like Moses Moody's fit in New Orleans. Number 11, I have the Charlotte Hornets taking Kentucky center Isaiah Jackson. Now, Jackson's block rate was insane. It was up there with other Kentucky bigs, such as Nolan's Noel and Anthony Davis, at like a 3.3% block rate, which is pretty damn good. And yeah, so that's the one skill that he's elite at. Other than that, he's a rim-running center, and I think that's what the Hornets need most, playing you know, with the mellow ball as your primary playmaker. He would love a rim-running big that he could throw lobs to that is running the floor well, that's, you know, running, protecting the rim, doing everything that rim-running centers are capable of doing. And to top it off, Isaiah Jackson actually played at Spear with LaMelo in high school for a season. So there's a pedigree going back to one another that they were teammates and they were pretty good friends. So keep LaMelo happy. The Hornets need a center anyway. They have Cody Zeller and Bissett Piombo, both as free agents. And even if you had both of them on a contract, if those are the only two bigs in your roster, you're in pretty big trouble. So while I don't have Isaiah, again, this is the 11th pick. I have Jackson 13th on my board. So he's not quite the best player available, but he's close enough to the point where, okay, he fills a need. And from what I've heard, the Hornets like him. The Hornets like multiple big men in the lottery. So I think that's um, a slam dunk pick. He fits what they want to do. He turns with a mellow. It's a win for me. Number 12, we have the San Antonio Spurs taking Turkish center Alprince Shangun. Shangun is the one guy that I've noticed draft Twitter and a lot of analysts are most torn about because he's dominating the Turkish League. The Turkish League is probably the third best league outside of the NBA in the world. And he just won MVP of the league as an 18-year-old. So that's obviously nothing to scoff at. Not only that, he was third in the league in scoring, fourth in rebounding, and second in blocks. So we saw with Luka Doncic, who won EuroLeague and ACB MVP at the age 18. We saw what he turned into. So people see Sengun and say, okay, he's not Luka Doncic, but his productivity at this young of an age in this side of the league is damn impressive. So the question is, why isn't he going higher? And he very well could. It only takes one team to fall in love with you and fall in love with the productivity that you had overseas. But I think the issue is he can move on defense, so he's not going to be able to protect the rim. He can't play a lick of defense with how slow he is on that end of the floor. And, yeah, he's all offense right now. So he's not a great shooter, so... Is an old school, if, if this was 1995, let's say, well, the old school big man was still the thing, I think he'd be the number one or number two pick. He's an old school throwback big man, is great in the post, can't really play defense well, can't switch, he's too heavy footed, can't really shoot threes. So he's not really one of those modern big men. But as I said, his productivity overseas cannot be ignored. And the Spurs, we know, have a great track record of drafting international players. They have one of the better international scouting teams in the league. 
So I and there's a need for center. They have Jacopo starting and not a whole much else behind him. So I think this is obviously a need. I have Shangun 15th on my board. This is pick number 12. So almost best player available once again. Speaking of guys who've been productive overseas, we have Josh Giddy, a point guard out of the NBL. The NBL, as you guys remember, is the same league Lamelo Ball played in last year and dominated. Giddy averaged 11 points, seven rebounds, and seven assists. Had multiple triple doubles. I actually think he broke Lamelo's triple double record for youngest guy to have a triple double in the league and the most triple doubles for a rookie or something in a season. Something along those lines. Lamelo had two. I think Giddy had three. But anyway, so Giddy has shown his productivity in one of the better foreign leagues overseas in the world. And he's a jumbo playmaker. He's, I believe he's 6'8". He's 6'8". He's actually playing. He's an alternate on Australia's national team for the Olympics. He didn't make the 12-man roster, but he is on the 15-man roster. So shout out to Matisse Leibel for making the team. And yeah, he's a jumbo sized playmaker, similar to LaMelo. He can really shoot, but he's a very smart player. He's a very crafty and smart passer that I think maybe he's not going to be a point guard, but it'll be a big wing because of his lack of shooting. And he'll be a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal secondary playmaker. So that's what I have with Giddy. And obviously I have him being the 13th pick here to the Indiana Pacers, who they might need a backup point guard because TJ McConnell might have played himself out of Indiana with how well he played this year. They might not be able to pay him. So here I have Josh Giddy being the 13th pick and the Indiana Pacers getting their backup point guard. Number 14, here we go again, the Golden State Warriors again with their pick. Since I have them taking Davion Mitchell at 7, I tried getting them a guy who could, you know, contribute now. I don't know if they're going to play two rookies and James Wiseman next year, even though they do have two lottery picks and took Wiseman number two overall last year. But I have a guy who's a little bit of a developmental project, but a guy who can contribute now, and that's Franz Wagner, who is Mo Wagner's brother. And he's a 3-and-D forward from Michigan. He's six for nine, so he has a big frame. He's phenomenal moving off the ball. He has great lateral quickness. Instincts are great. Everything you need in a defender, he has. So he'll be able to contribute, I think, right away in that aspect. But the question is the shooting. Some people believe he's going to be a 40% three-point shooter in the league. Others think he's going to be a 30% three-point shooter in the league. And that's a drastic, drastic, drastic difference. So the question becomes, do you buy the shooting? And like I said with Davion Mitchell, the Warriors are going to take a shot and hope they could develop his shots. I think they'll do the same with Wagner. Wagner, his shot is more polished than Butler's is. As I said, or not Butler, excuse me, Mitchell. Butler is Mitchell's teammate, as we know. But Mitchell, he shot 45% from three. So if that was legit, then they don't have to work on the shot at all. But as I said, 29, 32% previously, his freshman, sophomore year. And Wagner, it only takes one team to buy a shot for him to be a lottery pick. I think it's almost guaranteed that he's a lottery pick. So here, this might be more of a floor than a ceiling for Wagner at number 14, which obviously we know is the end of the lottery. Number 15, we have the Washington Wizards. I think the Wizards desperately need athleticism. We know Russell Westbrook isn't what he used to be. Bradley Beal is getting up there in age, though he is still relatively young. 
Thomas Drank is coming off a torn ACL, so I'm sure he's going to lose a step athletically. Daniel Gafford's athletic as the backup center, maybe starting center if he outplays Thomas Bryan in training camp or something along those lines. But they don't really have any wings. We saw Denis Advia suffer a horrific ankle injury last year to end the season, so he was out for the remainder of the year in the playoffs. And, yeah, the Wizards just – they need defense. They need athleticism. So I have them taking – Keon Johnson, who is a wing out of Tennessee. He was a freshman. I'm not big on him at all. I have him, let's see, 19th on my big board. So that's actually on the lower end of where most people have him. A lot of people have him top 10. Yes, the defense is there. He's athletic enough to be a great defender, but he has shown absolutely nothing offensively. I think he's like a power forward in a shooting guard's body, the similar way that 76ers draftee Zio Smith was. And I know Zio Smith had a sesame allergy and almost died his rookie season. So that contributed to him falling out of the league and never developing. But I don't think Zio Smith, looking back on it, I don't think he was ever going to develop. I don't think he ever should have been first-round pick for those reasons. He was crazy athletic the same way Keon Johnson is, but he has absolutely nothing offensively. Keon can't shoot. He can't drive. He can't get to the hole. So there's just so many question marks, but alongside guys like Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook, who could take that offensive burden off of you, Keon could, you know, he could cut and he could play defense and that's what they need. And then he could be a lob thread with how defensive or how, um, how athletic he is. So I think that's what the Wizards need. He might be the first true wing they have. I do like Denis as a wing, but he underwhelmed this year, to say the least. So, Keon Johnson, number 15 to the Washington Wizards. Number 16, I have the Oklahoma City Thunder up again. We already have him taking Scotty Barnes as a point forward. Well, I have him taking another point forward, who I actually have ranked higher than Scotty Barnes on my big board. I have Scotty Barnes number nine on my big board. At number eight, I have Duke forward, Jalen Johnson. Now, Johnson, a lot of guys are questioning his character. He quit on his high school team to focus on going to Duke. He quit on Duke to focus on the draft. So the question is, does he enjoy playing basketball? Is he, does he love the game? There's just a lot of character questions with him, given that he quit on his high school and his college team to focus on what was next. Well, this is what's next. There's nothing higher than the NBA. So I think he will have his head on straight. And as a prospect, I love him, which is ironic because my NBA comp for him is Ben Simmons. And I, as a Sixers fan, hate Ben Simmons. But if you guaranteed OKC getting the next Ben Simmons at 16th in the draft, they're going to take that 100 times out of 100. He's a great defender, or not a great defender. He's an okay defender with the tools to become a great defender. And, you know, he's a coast-to-coast, grab-and-go, point power forward, the same way Scotty Barnes is. So I think OKC having Scotty Barnes, Jalen Johnson, Poku, and Darius Baisley, all four forwards that could, you know, score, pass, shoot a little bit. Jalen Johnson can't really shoot, and Scotty Barnes has a question mark shot. But both of them could handle the ball like nobody's business. You have SGA, defer to those guys who play on ball. And I think you're going to get great results out of it. OKC's obviously asset accumulating. Jalen Johnson, as I said, is eighth on my big board, so I think they're just going to take the best player available, get just another asset that they can develop. And I think it's a home run for them. Number 17 are the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, this is my best player available. I have him number five on my big board, but 
most people have him in the 20s. I know a lot of mainstream media actually has him almost out of the first round. And that's Zaire Williams from Stanford. Zaire had a brutal year. He played for Stanford who had a COVID outbreak. So they lived in a hotel for two months. So he was living out of a hotel. He had a death in the family that caused him to miss about, to miss about a month. And he was in a bicycle accident where he had a knee injury. So he didn't play much. I think he only played in about 12 games. And the results were questionable. I envision him as a three-level. I think he's this year's Jaden McDaniels, and I like Jaden McDaniels last year. I actually, actually compared Jaden McDaniels last year to a poor man's Kevin Durant. And he, I'm not going to say he looked apart this year, but he definitely looked better than the 20th pick in the draft. And I think Zaya Williams is going to do that as well. Obviously, Jaden McDaniels had character concerns and other issues, which contributed to a poor freshman year. Zaya Williams, you know, had all those issues I previously talked about. But he's a three-level scorer. He just measured at, I think, 6'10 for a forward. So he has great size for a three-level scorer. I think he would be great if Memphis, Memphis is a great developmental system. If Memphis could develop him, all of a sudden you have John Morant, Jaron Jackson, Dylan Brooks, Zaya Williams, and Valanciunas. That's a deadly starting five that you could build off of. And... I think this would be an absolute, absolute, absolute home run for Memphis. As I said, I have Zion Williams number five on my big board. I am extremely high on him. I have seen a few people actually have him equally as high. And, you know, they tweeted at me saying, oh, my God, I have Zion Williams number five as well. So I know I'm not on a complete island with this, but it is pretty outlandish. As I said, most people do have him in the 20s on the big board. So number 18, we have OKC up again. We know they had pick after pick after pick. I have them taking Scotty Barnes and Jalen Johnson. Here, I don't have them taking best player available, but I have them taking a positional need. They don't really have any centers on the roster. I already gave them two forwards. They have a few guards of SGA and Luke Dort and Teo Maladon. So here I have them taking a center, and that's Usman Garuba. I'm saying that because Sam Presti does love defensive-minded guys. Garuba, we saw actually last night, played Team USA for the Spanish national team and Team USA versus Spain exhibition basketball. And Garuba is a great defender. I mean, he's already playing defense at a high level in the EuroLeague for a high-level team in Real Madrid. And the question is, is he going to play four? Is he going to play the five in the NBA? I think he can play either. He's pretty switchable on defense. He can protect the rim. He is a little undersized. I have him listed at six foot eight, but he does have a seven two wingspan. He's only nineteen. I think OKC will draft him and experiment with him his rookie year on where he plays best, whether that be the five, whether that be the four, whether it's even on the wing. He can't do much offensively, which is why, despite being an elite, elite, elite defender, is why he fell to eighteen. I actually don't know if any other team aside from OKC would take the swing on him, given his defensive or his offensive limitations, maybe Houston would because he could be that defensive building block. And obviously Houston is a rebuilding team as well. They have picks 23, 24, but I think Garuba would be a very fun experiment for OKC to, you know, have another building block. Number 19 out of the New York Knicks taking Gonzaga guard, who a lot of you are familiar with senior Corey Kispert. Now Kispert is older. As I said, he's a senior He's 22 years old. He's getting a lot of comps to Joe Harris. That's the elite kind of shooter that he is, shooter off movement, shooter in space. 
he's just he's probably the best shooter in the draft. If not, then he's definitely a close number two. We will get to who number one might be in a little bit. But yeah, the Knicks we saw in the playoffs when they lost to the Hawks in five, they just had no shooting. RJ Barrett did improve as a shooter this year. Julius Randle shot a little bit. They had Mitch Robinson at center. They had Emmanuel quickly come off the bench at point guard, but then they had Alfred Payton and Derrick Rose playing the other minutes there. Neither of them were really shooters. So then, you know, you had Alec Burks, Reggie Bullock, some guys who could shoot, but the Knicks need a lead knockdown shooter to pair with Barrett and Randall. And even if quickly becomes a starter, that solves one of the shooting issues, but Kispert would help alleviate that issue. The Knicks, obviously, all of a sudden are ready to win now rather than be patient with the rebuild like they have been. So getting a win-now guy like Kispert, another elite shooter that could fit in any system, he'll be... I'm not saying a rookie's going to help attract free agents, but it's something you could sell them on rather than taking a developmental project at 22. Or, excuse me, at 19. Number 20, I have the Atlanta Hawks taking Sharif Cooper, point guard out of Auburn. And it's ironic because Sharif Cooper, I actually compare him to Trey Young. Not in the aspect of, you know, they're not identical players, but they're equally as polarizing. Sharif Cooper is a great point guard. Probably the best passer in the draft. He averaged 20 points, eight assists at Auburn this year as a freshman. And as I said, best passer in the draft. He's very polarizing on that aspect of his game. But he can't shoot and he can't play defense. He's extremely small. He's maybe six foot at best. So I don't think the defense is ever going to come. And for him to be, you know, a starter in the league, I think he's going to have to either become a good defender or an adequate shooter. And I don't think the defense is going to come with how small he is. So the question becomes, can he develop a shot? Even a Trey Young level shot, a lot of people overrate Trey Young as a shooter because of the range that he has on a shot. But Trey Young is not an elite shooter by any means. So... Maybe Cooper develops that. The Hawks are going to need to back a point guard for the future. They have Bogey and Kevin Herter, who will both be secondary playmakers. They have Lou Williams, who's a free agent this year. I imagine they resign him to a one- or two-year contract before Lou will retires. But this team is so loaded. I think the one weakness they have is, you know, a really good playmaker behind Trey Young. And who better than a guy who gets a Trey Young comp? Let's give him Sharif Cooper. 21, we have the New York Knicks again. And I have him taking Cam Thomas out of LSU. He is a certified scorer, probably the best just pure scorer in the draft. He is the all-time leading scorer at Oak Hill Academy, even scored more points than Carmelo Anthony. He was one of the top leading scorers in the nation this year behind, um, obviously we know Max Osmus from Will Roberts was the leading scorer in the nation. But I read a crazy stat like Cam Thomas was like the fourth ever freshman to average 24 points a game behind like, Trey Young, Anthony Davis, and Zion or something along those lines. So he's just, he can get buckets. The Knicks need a guy who could get their own shot, who could create for himself, um, play iso ball. He could do all that. He's a great scorer. And watching him play under Madison, the lights of Madison Square Garden would be spectacular to watch. Number 22, I have the Lakers taking the oldest guy in this draft. He... Received a first-round promise, so he decided to withdraw from the— or he decided not to participate in the combine because he had a first-round promise. And that is 24-year-old guard Chris Duarte out of Oregon. Duarte is basically everything a LeBron role player needs. He's a six-foot-six guard, so he has size. 
And as I said, he's 24 years old, but he's tailor-made for the NBA today. It was like Desmond Bain last year with the Memphis Grizzlies, how you knew he was going to be an impact player right away because he was an older prospect, and you knew that going into the year that he was going to make an all-rookie team. So Chris Duarte, he's a 40% three-point shooter. He can handle the ball, be a secondary playmaker, good decision maker. He's going to be a high, high, high level role, role player. And that's the kind of guys LeBron thrives playing next to. A, 40, a guy who could shoot, be a secondary playmaker, good decision maker, has size. As I said, everything a LeBron role player needs. I think this would be a home run for the Lakers. Obviously, if they have to trade the pick, they will. To get, you know, a DeMar DeRozan in a signing trade, a Kyle Lowry in a signing trade, whoever it may be. But for purposes of this exercise, I have them just taking the guy who's going to help them the most and contribute most to the championship run next year. Okay, the Houston Rockets picking back-to-back at 23 and 24. I have them taking two wings. Earlier, obviously, we have them taking Evan Mobley. Maybe him and Christian Wood could play next to each other a little bit. I personally think they should trade Christian Wood. He's too old to be part of their long-term rebuild. And I don't think his stock's ever going to be higher after averaging 21-9 and nine last year. So I personally think they should trade Christian Wood, get value for him, and give Mobley the keys to the center position. But here I have them taking Renz Bleisenberg, who is another point forward from Belgium. He's 6'10". He actually could us favorably to my boy Alexei Pokushevsky in the aspect of he could pass, dribble. He's almost 7 feet. And he's raw, so... I think the Rock is going to have to develop him. A lot of mainstream media didn't have him too high on boards, but NBA draft Twitter is extremely high on him. And I actually trust draft Twitter more than I draft, more than I trust, you know, that mainstream media. So even though mainstream media does have intel on where guys' ranges are, because they talk to agents, they talk to scouts, they get a better idea. So I like looking at both to get an idea of, okay, this guy's range is here to here, but I like this player, they rank, they have ranked significantly lower than this guy so on and so forth, and a range. Then I have the Rockets taking 24, JT Thor, who is the second youngest guy in this draft. He is a wing from, or he's a forward from Auburn. And a lot of people were pretty shocked when he decided to enter the draft. He looked more like a 2022 lottery pick, but he decided to throw his name in the ring now. And yeah, there's a lot of, I guess I would say a lot of Jonathan Isaac to his game. He's a versatile switchboard defender. He's shown some flashes on offense, but he's very raw passer and very raw shooter. So Houston, you know, they're obviously rebuilding for the future after the James Harden trade, post-James Harden. I think both these guys, Blasenburg and Thor, could be the play, be pieces alongside Mobley and Kevin Porter Jr., to all of a sudden, that could be a starting lap of the future. Obviously, you have John Wall as well, so we don't know the state of the point guard position, but I think that's enticing for the Rockets. Okay, at 25, I have Florida guard Trey Mann going to the Los Angeles Clippers. The Clippers desperately need playmaking. We've seen it year after year. Um... Patrick Beverly playing point guard isn't cutting it. Yes, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George basically played de facto point guard for them, but they really need playmaking. So here I'm taking the best point guard available to help them 
Obviously, Kawhi Leonard's going to be out for most of next year, so I don't want to say help them win a championship, but maybe down the line with them a championship, just not next year without Kawhi. So, Man is a 6'5 guard, so he has positional size. He's probably, I would, he's a combo guard, but I define him as a point guard. He's a great playmaker. And, yeah, he has positional size, obviously, for a point guard. And good defender, good playmaker, shot 40% from three. So he's an all-around overall good player that would fit the clip as well. And, yeah, so the Clippers, I don't know. Uh, they're tough to gauge with Kawhi Leonard being a free agent. I think Kawhi's going to stay. I can't picture a scenario where he leaves, given the lifestyle that he has in L.A. But if all of a sudden he leaves, they might be in for a long rebuild without any other picks because they're all owned by OKC for the Paul George trade. So 26, I have the Denver Nuggets. And the Nuggets, it seems like they're getting in a trend. They took Jokic at 41. They took Jamal Murray. They got at 7. They got Michael Porter Jr. at 14. They took Bol Bol at 44. They take high upside guys and trust the development team to develop them. And Denver's been phenomenal at it. Obviously, Bol Bol still has a ways to go. But other than him, their development team is probably one of the best in the league. So here I have them taking um, – uh, Former lottery pick, meaning that going into this season, he was a projected lottery pick, and he was the highest recruit to ever go to Arizona State, and that's Josh Christopher, who is a shooting guard, and he's like Cam Thomas. He just straight up gets buckets. He's one of the best scorers in this draft. I think with Jamal Murray out for the season, let him, he could handle a little bit, but let him, you know, help run the, Jokic will find him the ball when Jokic is playing the fact point guard for them. Um, him and MPJ will both be on the wings, terrorizing teams with their ability to score. So I think Denver's going to trust their development team, develop him into an elite NBA player, because if you can score, there's a spot for you in the NBA. So Christopher, we know, can do that. So the question is, how much more can they develop from him? Number 27, we have the Brooklyn Nets, and this might be the steal of the draft. I have as... Number 17 on my big board, I have Jared Butler, who was the most outstanding player in the Final Four. And, yeah, we saw that Shams Charania tweeted the day of the combine that he was medically red flagged and he couldn't play due to a heart condition that he had. But he just recently got the clear as of yesterday that he is eligible to play in the NBA due to um, health concerns. So that's huge for Butler because, as I said, I have him as a borderline lottery pick. I had his teammate Dave, Davion Mitchell going seven. I think Butler and Mitchell is splitting hairs between the two. That's how even they are. So the Nets getting Jared Butler 27 is an absolute steal here. They're going to need to back a point guard, assuming Spencer Dinwiddie walks. So you get Butler on a rookie deal with all those other high-trace guys. That is a home run and a half. And, yeah, Butler is one of the better ball handlers – in this class, he shoots well. He's a pretty good defender. I mean, as I said, he just does everything well. So he's on the older side. He's 20, about to be 21. But very high floor. Maybe not the high ceiling, but very high floor for a team that obviously has championship aspirations. 28 are the Philadelphia 76ers, and I was really between two guys here. I ended up going with Deuce McBride from West Virginia. He's small. He's only six foot two, 
but he has, give me a second as I pull it up, he has a 6'5 wingspan, so he could play a little bit bigger than his size. He's lightning quick laterally. He's a lead at the point of attack defensively. His game's all about pressure. As we know, he came from West Virginia, as they call it, though, Press Virginia. Um, yeah, he attacks with him, attacks on defense. He's, a, he's like Butler, a very high-floor guy, very high-character guy. If his jumper develops, he's going to be an elite, not an elite player, but he's going to have a 12-year career. I think he's going to have a 12-year career anyway. And that's, I'm saying he needs to work on his jumper. He shot 42% from three, so his jumper really isn't much of a concern at all. Um, he's a tough shot maker. And the Sixers, we don't know. They have Tyrese Maxey. They have Shake Milton. They have George Hill. I don't know if they guarantee his contract or not. I imagine they would for these trading purposes. Maybe they got Kyle Lowry. But Ben Simmons seems to be on his way out the door, so they're going to need an extra ball handler. So Deuce McBride, I have him 22 on my board. So here at pick 28, I think that's a great pick for the Sixers. 29 out of the Phoenix Suns taking Isaiah Todd, who is another player out of G League Ignite. He actually shut down working out for teams outside of the lottery. He is convinced he's a lottery pick. Most people actually have him in the second round. Here I have him 29, so I have him just barely in the first round. But Phoenix really needs a stretch big to play alongside DeAndre Aiden. As you know, Dario Sarch is out for the year next year. They drafted Jalen Smith. He didn't seem to do much this year. They had Jay Crowder. They had Mikhail Bridges on the wings. So it's not a desperate need. But at this point, the Suns are in the NBA championship, as we know. And it's a luxury pick that they can afford. He's a great shooting big man. He's a little bit switchable on defense. And I think Todd is going to really be a lights-out shooter at the next level. So it's just another weapon for Imani Williams to use at his disposal. Number 30 of the Utah Jazz. And I have Tennessee wing Jaden Springer going to them. I have him 25th on my big board. But the Jazz has shown in those series against the Clippers where they lost two in a row when Kawhi went out after his torn ACL. And basically it showed, okay, we need athleticism. Yeah, they have Royce O'Neal, who's a good defender. They have Joe Ingles. They have Bojan Bogdanovic. They have no athleticism at all. Rudy Gobert got played off the floor because he can't. He's not exactly switchable. He's a great. He's the best rim protector maybe ever, but he's not a switchable guy. He got played off the floor. Donovan Mitchell is okay athletically, but they don't have an elite athlete. So here I gave him Jaden Springer. Add to that athleticism. I like a guy if they're able to trade this pick plus like maybe another first for like. Lou Dort or something, a guy on a minimum contract who's a great defender and athletic, that would be a home run for Utah. I think that would take them miles and miles and miles. But here, obviously, I'm not making any trades. I think Jaden Springer is the best athlete, aside from Greg Brown at this point, available on the board. And again, he plays on the wing, so you'd have a versatile wing, defender, athletic type guy. Okay, let's move on to the second round. At 31, I have the Milwaukee Bucks. I have him taking Jason Preston, who is a point guard out of Ohio. Preston is, his his nickname is the fourth ball brother because he plays so similar to LaMelo. At Ohio, he averaged seven, something like 17, seven, and six. One of the best passers in the draft. Very smart. At the combine, he was actually um, coaching guys through drills, basically telling them what the what everything was, how to go about it, how to attack it during the scrimmages. He knew all the rules. He's a point guard. 
like the definition of a point guard. So Milwaukee needs something like that. We saw them sign Jeff Teague after the trade deadline, after he was bought out. And he ended up playing Minnesota in the finals. And despite being up 3-2 right now, it's been a disaster. So they need another ball handler behind Holiday, Middleton, and Giannis are all like secondary ball handler types. Jason Preston is like the lead ball handler, elite playmaking point guard that the Bucks covet. He's big for his size. I believe he is. Let me pull it up here. He is 6'4". He's older. He's almost 22 years old. But for a team that's obviously in win now, they're in the championship, that's fine. There's no reason to, you know, take the developmental project right here. So I like Jason Preston a lot. There's, he's all overboard. Some people have him in, like, the late teens, early 20s. Other people have him almost undrafted. So I like him. I have him on my board at... 34, so I have him as an early second rounder, basically right around where he is being drafted. And, yeah. So, let's see. Number 32 here of the New York Knicks. I already gave them Corey Kispert, but given how badly they needed shooting last year, I didn't stop there. I gave them the best tough shot maker in this class who has the deepest range, and that's Nashawn, a.k.a. Bones Highland from BCU. Um. I wish I had more to say about him because really all he is is a knockdown shooter. He's a, he's a scorer. He could pull up from anywhere. And, yeah, he's a spark plug off the bench. So he's a more athletic version of what Vin Forbes can do for the Bucs in the aspect of shooting. But here on Kevin O'Connor's from the ringer, he has him as shades of Jamal Crawford and Ben Gordon. So that six-man type guy. He has positional – I mean, he's 6'2", so he's not super small. Average 20 points a game at VCU. I think for the Knicks, that would be – a. it's another shooter alongside Kispert and Barrett. And I think they sign Lonzo Ball. I think they could sign a guy like Kelly Oubre or Norman Powell. And obviously, they have Mitch Robinson. They have Julius Randle, Obi Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly. All of a sudden, you have three elite shooters with, with Quickly, Kispert, and Highland on the fold. So – I think that's a home run for the Knicks. Obviously, they're ready to compete now. 33 of the Orlando Magic. At this point, the Magic have so many young guys. I know I got into it earlier with how many assets they have and how many young guys they have. So I'm just going to take best player available at this point. And I do think they will consolidate during the draft. But at 33, I haven't taken Trey Murphy, who is a 3 and D type almost stretched four from Virginia, started his career at Rice before transferring. He was almost in the 50-40-90 club this year, so obviously he's crazy efficient. He shot 93% from the free throw line and 42% from three, so you know his shooting will translate to the NBA. And, yeah, I mean, he's just another forward for Orlando to have alongside Jonathan Isaac and Jonathan Kaminga and um, Chuma Okiki. Damn, that's four good forwards, and they have two good centers and a whole slew of guards that are all young. So I really like where Orlando's going. I think that Nikola Vucevic trade was phenomenal for them. I think they needed to rebuild years ago. So better late than never. It looks like they actually did a phenomenal job. They ended up getting the eighth pick from the Bulls, where I used them to get James Booknight. And, yeah, the trajectory is up for the Orlando Magic. 34, we have once again the Oklahoma City Thunder. This is the fourth pick of the draft. Um, I believe they have two more picks. They have six picks in total this year. So maybe the other two you would think draft and stash. 
I don't believe just because those they still need roster spots to, you know, eat contracts to take on future picks. And, you know, they still have a bunch of young guys they need to have on the contract. So it's going to be difficult for them to roster this many guys, but I haven't taken Josh Primo. He is the youngest player in the draft. He has, he's a great secondary playmaker, a great cash and shoot three point shooter. And he played for Alabama was SEC freshman of the year. And he reminds me of like what Obi Toppin and James Booknight were before the breakout years. Like Obi Toppin, after his retro freshman season, everyone knew he was going to break out for a sophomore year. And James Booknight, everyone expected him to break out this year after his freshman year. And both did. Obi Toppin won National Player of the Year. And James Booknight, I have, is a top 10 pick in this draft. So I think Primo, if he went back, he'd get the same kind of pedigree where he would, you know, have a huge breakout year, end up as a lottery pick next year. So I like this for OKC. Buy low on a borderline first rounder now, the youngest guy in the draft who, if he were to go back to school another year, would probably be a lottery pick. It's basically a free lottery pick for a team who has more picks than anyone's ever heard of. So I think that'd be a great route for OKC. 35 out of the New Orleans Pelicans. There was a lot of speculation they loved this guy, so I went with it. He's worked out for them multiple times already, I believe. And that's Jeremiah Robinson Earl from Villanova. As I talk about on many podcasts, you guys know how I feel about Villanova guys. They translate to the NBA, and they're basically guaranteed role player more times than not. Villanova produces more role players than any other school that I can think of. So Jeremiah Earl, he's a switchable four guy. Can kind of shoot, not really. I wouldn't consider him a stretch four, but as I said, very switchable. And he's going to, you know, be a, a guaranteed role player. So here I already have the Pelicans taking Moses Moody, a great 3 and D. I had them further improving their defense with Robinson Earl to play behind Zion. <coughs> Excuse me. And all of a sudden, the Pelicans have pieces that either assets they could move for like a bigger fish like Damian Lillard. There's a lot of speculation they could get him. And yeah, they're young and maybe they'll be competitive as early as next year, given, you know, if they get two guaranteed role players in Moses Moody and Jeremiah Robinson on rookie contracts. 36 of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Again, this is their fifth pick in this draft. Let's give them BJ Boston. Boston, for those of you who don't know, was a projected top five pick going into this draft. He basically got Marco Fultz syndrome. He got the yips and basically forgot how to play basketball. His field goal percentage was 36%. So not, not just on, he didn't shoot 36% from three. He shot 36% from the field, which is horrifying. He basically forgot how to play, but at his peak when he was in high school and a projected top five pick, he was a borderline three-level scorer, was supposed to be the man for Kentucky. Obviously, that didn't develop, but this is another swing along with Josh Primo for OKC to take. Trust OKC's one of the best developmental teams in the league. Try to figure out what was wrong with him, maybe get him to see. I don't like analyzing guys. I want to say see like a sports psychiatrist, but I don't like analyzing guys' mental state. So, but do whatever you need to do to fix this guy because I already have him getting basically a free lottery pick with Josh Primo. This could be another free lottery pick, getting a guy who's projected top five in PJ Boston and developing him correctly. Next, I have the Detroit Pistons taking Pepperdine forward Kessler Edwards. Edwards, his shot is ugly, but it goes in at about 38% clip. He's another 3 and D guy, and the Pistons all of a sudden with 
Cade Cunningham and Jeremy Grant and Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart and Killian Hayes. Then you add Edwards in the fold. All of a sudden, they have a young nucleus that all of a sudden they might be pretty competitive next year. So Edwards is a guy who is, I would say, pretty much a finished product. He still could develop a little bit, maybe work on a shot and make it a little bit more clean because, as I said, his shot is pretty ugly. But he's could help contribute now. He's similar to what the Pistons saw in Sadiq Bay last year in an older prospect who you know is going to contribute. He's 6'8 with a 7-foot wingspan, so he could play the 4 for you for a little bit in a small ball lineup. He's almost 21 years old, so he's not terribly old, but he's not obviously young either. So, yeah, at this point, I think that's the just about. I had him, what, pick 36 on my big board. I have him... 35. So I have him right about where I have him, and he's one of the best guys remaining on my big board. 38. Are the Chicago Bulls having a homecoming with Illinois guard? Obviously, Chicago's in Illinois. Illinois guard Ayu Dusunmu, um, all American, can get buckets, and he's probably the most clutch player I've seen in college basketball since Kimball Walker. Last year was his junior year. He's 21 years old. He averaged 20.6 rebounds and five assists. So he's pretty pro-ready and all-around good player. He could make an early impact due to his athleticism, vision, defensive ability. His length, I believe, is pretty long. Let me double check. He is, okay, yeah, he's about a 6'5 wingspan. And, yeah, he's a secondary ball handler, I think, He'll be a good guard, a third guard coming off. We know Kobe White's going to miss the beginning of next year. He's a small combo guard. He's only about 6'2", but he's a good third guard to play with Kobe White and Zach Levine. Obviously, you get him on a rookie contract. And, yeah, as I said, it's a homecoming for me. He played at Illinois, so I'm sure playing for the Bulls would be ideal for him. 39 out of the Sacramento Kings. Earlier, I have him taking Kai Jones to help fill the center. Um the center void left by Rashawn Holmes leaving likely to leave in free agency. I have him taking 3 and D wing Isaiah Livers. Livers broke his foot last year, so he missed March Madness, but he's 6'7". He's 23 years old, 3 and D guy out of Michigan. He reminds me of an athletic Danny Green. So at this point in the draft at 39, I mean, Sacramento, as I said, they missed the playoffs 13 straight years, so I'm sure they're anti to get into the playoffs. Livers is pretty much a plug-and-play guy. could play almost straight away in the rotation. Playing behind Buddy Heald and Harrison Barnes, maybe a little bit behind Halliburton at the two. And yeah, he shoots 43% from three. Good defender, could switch one through three, maybe, or no, two through four, maybe one through four. And yeah, I think even though he's an older prospect, which is why he's dinged and lower on boards, I have him ranked at 44 on my board. It's more due to age and lack of upside more than. As I said, he's like an athletic Danny Green, so he's going to be a productive player. So I like that for Sacramento. Number 40, we have the New Orleans Pelicans again. The Pelicans, I have taking Rokas Jakubaitis, who is a Lithuanian shooting guard. He can either be draft and stash, or next year, he could come over. Pelicans could decide that with him, what they want to do. I think they have, I think, five picks in this draft, so they might want to do the draft and stash route. And the good thing about that is, Joku Baitis is playing for, um, what's his name? The 
great European coach. His name is, bear with me for a second, Sarunas Jasikovicius, who he had a head coaching interview for the Raptors before Howard McNurris. And he's one of the best overseas coaches. I think he's coaching Real Madrid next year. And Joe Betis agreed if he's drafting Sash that he will play for them. So sending him over for a year to play for a high-level team, a high-level EuroLeague team with a great coach, could do wonders for his development. You bring him over the following year. They did the same thing with Didi Luzada um, two years ago. They brought him over at the end of this year. He'll probably make the team and, you know, be a guy next year. Okay, 41, I have the San Antonio Spurs. I have them taking Aaron Henry. Uh, do I want to call him a combo guard? I guess I'll call, call him a combo guard. He's 6'6 with a 6'10 wingspan, almost 22 years old, and he's from Michigan State. The Spurs really don't need any more guards, given that they have DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Lonnie Walker, Devin Vassell. They already have that covered, but here I do think Henry is... Just about, this is pick 40. I have Henry ranked 42. So, yeah, I have him as just about the best player available. I think I only have three or four guys that still haven't been drafted over him that are ranked higher. So, he's a good combo guard and very good defender, very Spursian, disciplined type player, high IQ, good disciplined defender, and... Yeah, I think he'll fit well in San Antonio's system. He's an older guy, but that's okay. San Antonio's not in a full rebuild where they need to shoot for upside, even though maybe they should be. They're not, especially as long as Greg Popovich continues to be the coach there. And, yeah, I like Henry at 41. That's good value. So 42 of the Detroit Pistons, taking a guy I absolutely hate. I have him, I think, in the 70s or 80s in my big board, and that's Deshaun Nix the fourth and final guy for the G League Ignites. One, he's pretty chubby and husky. He actually lost weight at the combine. He looks slimmer. He's one of the best passers in this draft, but he can't shoot at all. And he is, um, he's 6'5". So he has positional size. So there's a lot of intriguing things about him. He's 6'5". He has great vision, great passer, but he can't shoot. He's slow. He's unathletic. A lot of things you need your point guard to be, he's not. So I'm not a big fan of him. I think the Pistons need a great passer. I mean, I know they have Cade and Killian Hayes could be a great secondary ball handler, but having, you know, another great passer to be on the second unit could really help their guys develop. Number 43, I have the New Orleans Pelicans taking Juhan Begerin. And Begerin is a long. He's most likely a draft and stash guy. He's from France. He's 6'5 with a 7-foot wingspan. He's going to be 18 during the draft, almost 19, so he's very young. He's a guy you could develop and let him play overseas for two or three years, and then maybe you have something. At this point in the draft, the Pelicans especially, they already have five picks, so they're not going to have the roster spots for anybody. He was the best draft and stash available for me. Okay, 44, I have the Brooklyn Nets. At this point, I had the Nets taking Jared Butler, which was a home run. Here, I have him taking North Carolina big man, one and done, Dayron Sharp, who he's an old-school throwback big man. He can't really shoot, can't switch. He plays mostly in the paint, but he's a very good and smart passer for center. So I think that's just another element the Nets could utilize. Uh, He's not better than Nick Claxton, 
Even when Bruce Brown plays center for the Nets, he's probably a better big man for the Nets on the kind of system they run. But Sharp could give them another element of a passing big who could pass out of double teams. Not that he's going to be double teamed a lot, but pass out of the post, play and pick and roll. He could maybe even do some pick and roll bar handling because of his ability to pass. And he's a big dude. He's 6'11". So he's just about a legit seven-footer, about 245 to 250 pounds. So he's a presence in the paint that the Nets don't have. So I have Daylon Sharp going 44 to the Brooklyn Nets. 45, the Boston Celtics. I really don't know what the Celtics need. I am typically a proponent taking best guy available, but at this point, you're so late in the second round, you might as well get a guy you think could fit on your team or solve a need or something like that. So I gave them Matthew Hurt just because they don't really have any shooting bigs. I know they have Al Horford. I don't know how many minutes he's going to get, given that they have Moses Brown and Tristan Thompson. And then Jason Tatum plays some of the four for them in the starting lineup. And Grant Williams doesn't really shoot. So I figure, hey, let's give them the stretch big elements. And give them Matthew Hurt. He's a stretch four out of Duke, sophomore. And let's see what the Celtics could get out of him. Okay, 46 and 47 out of the Toronto Raptors with back-to-back picks. I have them getting two home runs here. I have them getting EJ Onu, who's a center out of Shawnee State, which is an NAIA school, so it's Division Two, And I think he's a sleeper of this draft. He's a legit seven-footer. He shoots 40% from three and used to be a track star. So he runs the floor like a guard. He's a great shot blocker. I think he averaged like four blocks a game. I know the competition was weak given that he played in Division Two, but this dude is polarizing. You have to check out his tape to really know what I'm talking about. I think this dude's a legit player, and I think letting him and Chris Boucher play together, those somewhat similar players, I think they could learn a thing or two off each other, and maybe that could be a center rotation down the line for a team who's retooling. And then the other pick I gave them, I gave them Joel Ayai, who is a great glue guy, he was on that undefeated Gonzaga team that lost in the national championship. Combo guard, knows how to win, and knows his role, knows what to do, high IQ. A kind of guy that Sam Presti would appreciate coming off his bench. 48, I have the Atlanta Hawks taking Matt Mitchell. The Hawks, as I said, I haven't taken Shriff Cooper on the first round to fill the back of point guard need. Other than that, they really don't need much. They'll probably be similar to the Magic or the Thunder, where they need to consolidate guys because of how many guys they have already. But, I mean, Mitchell's a heavier guy. He played at San Diego State, could play on the wing. I think if he loses some weight and becomes more nimble, he's pretty athletic, and he's a pretty solid defender. And he shoots decent from three. So all those things, I think Atlanta, you know, draft him, throw him on a two-way, watch him develop, and see what he could become. 49 out of the Brooklyn Nets taking Herb Jones, who, as I said about adding another element to Dayron Sharp, um... This adds even another element because it's another point forward type guy that can play behind KD. He's a good defender, great ball handler, full forward. I have him listed at, let's see here, 6'8". So he has legitimate size. And yeah, he basically played point guard for most of the year for Alabama. And Alabama was a two-seed March Madness, so... He was able to do it in college. I see him, you know, being the secondary ball handler on that next second unit. That could be pretty lethal with all of a sudden they have Jared Butler and Daylon Sharp and Herb Jones. Okay, number 50, we have the Philadelphia 76ers. This may be a little bit of wishful thinking coming from a Sixers fan, but I had him 43 in my big board, so it's not that outlandish. 
he skyrocketed up boards during the combine, and that is Quinton Grimes, a wing out of Houston. As we know, he used to play at Kansas, was a projected top. He was basically projected lottery pick at Kansas, was supposed to go one and done, obviously didn't have the greatest freshman year, ended up transferring going to Houston, and Houston basically reworked him as a great 3-and-D type guy. He's 21 years old. I think at 50, giving a guy a guaranteed rookie contract at this point that's this good of a pick, I think is a home run for the Sixers. 51, I have Amar Cilia, a draft mustache guy from, I believe he's from Senegal, for the Memphis Grizzlies. He's 6'9 of 7'2 wingspan, supposed to be a great defensive prospect. The Grizzlies, I believe, after Zaya Williams, already have 13 or 14 guaranteed contracts. So they really don't have any room to add a second rookie. Maybe they'll add someone and put him on a two-way, but here I go to the draft and stash rounds. 52, I have the Detroit Pistons. I already have them taking who? I have them taking Cade, and I have them taking Dacian Nix. So that's two great passes. Here I'm going to give them a big man, and it's probably the best athlete in the draft just about, in Greg Brown, a big man out of Texas. Greg Brown, originally, he was a McDonald's All-American, five-star recruit, was the projected lottery pick, and started to fall down boards. I know, like, the Athletics still have him as a borderline first-round pick. I have him, at this point, at 47 on my board, and there's potential for him to move down further as I do more scouting. But, I mean, he shot 30% from three, so the idea of him being a 3 and D big is, okay, yeah, he's athletic, and, you know, he's going to put guys on posters, and that's going to be cool and all. Maybe you'll be in a dunk contest, but he doesn't do much. He can kind of shoot, and that's about, and he's athletic, and that's about it. So, yeah, maybe taking a shot on the athleticism at 51, throw him on a two-way, see if he can develop other parts of his game. I like it for the Pistons at this point, but that's why I don't have him as a first-rounder and have him all the way down at 51 in a 60-player draft. Or so, excuse me, 52. 53 of the New Orleans Pelicans taking Jay Huff who is basically a 3-and-D center out of Virginia. Um, he's great at protecting the rim. He's a great shot blocker, and he's a great three-point shooter. Zion needs to play alongside stretch bigs who can shoot in order to maximize his potential. And the Pelicans know they fucked up by signing Stephen Adams, or not even signing. They gave him a first-round pick to get Stephen Adams and signed to a two-year extension. He could have been a free agent and walked the summer, and then they would have had the extra however much in cap space. But instead, they signed to an extension, and they're having buyer's remorse. So here, it makes sense to take a guy like Jay Huff, who can block shots and who can shoot threes alongside Zion. And we, yeah, I think that's a really solid fit. 54 of the Indiana Pacers taking Joe Wieskamp, uh, wing out of Iowa. When I said Kispert is probably the best shooter in the draft, the other guy that came to mind was Wieskamp. He's a phenomenal shooter, great off movements, great creating space for himself, great running on um, dribble handoffs, can do everything like that. But he really helped himself at the combine. He measured as, I believe, 6'7 with a 6'11 wingspan. So he had a plus four wingspan. He is 22 years old, so he is on the older side. But great shooter. And not only that, he tested great athletically. I think his vertical was 42 inches. So there might be some athleticism that's untapped that we didn't see in college that could help him in the NBA. 
Number 55, I have the Oklahoma City Thunder again for the sixth pick. This guy may be a drafting stash. Maybe he won't be. As I said, the Thunder need big men when I haven't taken Usman Gruber earlier. Here I have the guy who's number 30 on my big board still available at 55. So I took him for OKC, take the best player available, and that's Philip Petrusev. Petrusev, for those of you who think that name sounds familiar, he used to play at Gonzaga, and then he left Gonzaga last year because he knew Drew Timmer was basically going to start over him and take his playing time. So he went overseas. He started playing for Mega Soccer Bats in the EuroLeague, and he's had great results. He used to be a throwback big man who basically just played in the post. Now he expanded his range to three. He can shoot. And... Again, much improved offensive player. He can pass a little bit. He's more of a modern-day big man than he was when he was at Gonzaga, and I think it's really going to help his draft stock. I know I have him going 55 for you just because I don't back up big men on hot commodities anymore, so it's stupid to waste the draft pick on one. But, yeah, I had him number 30 on my big board, so I had him as a late first-rounder. Now we have the Charlotte Hornets up at 56 and 57. Let's give them two guys that could throw them two-way contracts. That's Delano Banton and Jericho Sims. Jericho Sims is a rim-running five. I know I already gave that to them and Isaiah Jackson, but on a two-way, you know, there's nothing wrong with that petition, especially when it's a position in need. Sims really shined at the combine of, you know, being able to do those rim-running things, I guess I would say, that the Hornets need. As I said, LaMelo would thrive along a big man like that, so I hadn't taken Jericho Sims there. Sims didn't get to play as much because he was playing with Greg Brown and Kai Jones, who both also were already drafted. So Texas had those three big men and kind of rotated them. So Sims was kind of the one that fell under the radar. But after the combine, I was kind of surprised he was, ready, he was invited to the combine to begin with, but he really shined once he got there. Then Delano Banton, he was a late invite into the G League elite camp. And he really played well, though. He almost got invited to the NBA Combine after that. He's a 6'9 point guard, so he's huge for a point guard. He can really shoot, and that's his one his biggest flaw. But throw him on the two-way. He's similar to Lamelo in the point guard. He's a jumbo point guard. And see what you can develop him into. If the shot comes along, he's a very complete player. Great passer. Can drive to the rim. I think the Hornets take a shot on a guy like this. Number 58, the New York Knicks. I have him taking Seton Hall, point center, Sandro Mamashkulavili. Mamashkulavili, as I said, he's a center. He's seven feet. He's a big dude. I think he weighs about 240 pounds. But he's a Nikola Jokic type point guard. They run the, at Seton Hall, they ran the offense through him. He's a great passer for a big man. And literally, they call him a point center. So I think it's just another element the Knicks can add. Obviously, Stephen Hall is in New York, so I'm sure he'd be a fan favorite. And yeah, I, at this point, it's the 50th pick in the draft, so I don't have a whole bunch to say. But he can shoot threes. He can pass. Why not take a shot on a center like that? If the Knicks, if he were to go undrafted, I love the idea of Denver signing him as an unrestricted free agent, and he could be Jokic's backup, and they could play the same exact offense that they played, similar to when they had Mason Plumlee, and they ran the same offense because Plumlee is a pretty good passing big man. And with Mamashko Lavili, they could play the same offense with him being the primary ball handler, especially with Jamal Murray out next year. Throw him on a two-way, had him run the, the secondary offense, 
and I think you get pretty good results from it. 59, I have the Brooklyn Nets again. I don't know if the Nets are going to take the, want to have this many rookies on the roster, given that they're winning now, or they're obviously they're competing for a championship, so they don't want all these rookies. But they do need cheap labor, given the salary cap dilemma. So get as many guys rookie contracts as you can, I guess. Here I have them taking Scotty Lewis, who going into last year was a projected first-round pick, completely fell off the radar, was invited to the combine this year. It was a little bit of a surprise that he was invited, but he hasn't exactly been on many mock drafts. Here, he's a very high-character guy, can play defense. He has a little bit of work offensively, but we know that the Nets definitely need defense. So they could get a defender on the wing, very high-character guy that could help build their culture. And at the 59th pick, throw him on two AC, which he got. Finally, the 60th pick of the draft, I had Mr. Irrelevance as the national player of the year, Luca Garza. Garza actually wasn't exactly draftable despite winning national player of the year in college because he was such a throwback old school big man. He weighed like 270 pounds, back to the basket type guy. He lost like 35 pounds, so now he's more mobile. He's been stretching out to three a little bit more, knocking it down. And as I say, he's more mobile, so he could switch a little bit more on defense, play a little bit better defense overall, can move better. So I thought he's. I thought he went from he was definitely going to be a great Euro League player to now he lost the weight. Maybe he could be a solid backup center in the league. So for Indiana, why not throwing him to a see what you have and then you know go from there. Okay. So as I said, the NBA draft is ten days away. It's the best day of the year. Can't say it enough. Can't stress it enough. And yeah, my goal before the draft is to increase my Twitter following on Twitter. Uh, draft Twitter has really helped me out. A lot of guys that I talk to every day on Draft Twitter have, you know, helped me out with retweets and getting my name out there. But, you know, I am your mom's favorite podcast. So moms out there, tell your sons, tell your daughters, tell your husbands, tell your brothers, tell your sisters, yo, follow the NBA goal, listen to the NBA goal. Follow me on Twitter at the underscore NBA goal. Listen to me on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Listen to me on Google Podcasts. Listen to me on Anchor, wherever you listen to your podcast. And thanks for listening, guys. I will talk to you next episode. If not before the draft, then enjoy the draft and enjoy the best day of the year.